Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your summertime landscape, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, comments, or whatever. And Mr. Kelly. Yo. New home. How about the birds? They're starting to show up. Oh, it's interesting. What a sordid tale I have to tell. In front, I have uh, three or four hummingbird feeders, depending on the day. They're doing okay. I've got about four birds that have been hanging out a little bit. And uh, so far, I don't think they've been under attack by too many critters, <laughs> but in the back. So it's uh, our, our, pad, our like sunroom and deck are up, and so there's a uh, pole that holds, holds up the feeder but the raccoons come and get on that pole and get the feeder so i got one that was kind of resistant to them somehow or another they got to it knocked it down it fell 20 feet to the ground below did it break (sighs) yeah but i was able to fix it then there's another one so i put two or three hooks to hang it down lower so they couldn't really reach it well last night we went to a concert and before we left i didn't put it away it was missing this morning. Uh-oh. So when I get home, I'm going to have to go out the basement or the, the downstairs and see if it's down there still and see what kind of damage they have done. But apparently they <laughs> got to it overnight. So this is going to be a battle with these guys. So it, you're going to start yeah. trapping them? Live no, traps? they're too many to trap. They're too many. Really? And, you know, they're so cute. They really are. They're they're destructive little whatevers. Right. But, you know, the other day I chased them away, and the mom comes out of the woods and waits because one of the babies had run up into the tree. And so she came, she noticed, I guess, one of them was missing. So she came out, kind of gave the all clear. He came running down, passed her, went into the woods, and then she turned and went back into the woods. It was like she came out for him. She knew he was missing. Oh, wow. So, I mean, they're, you know, they're really cute. But, boy, they're destructive. And, boy, they are, they're determined. They will. So I've, I've. This will be interesting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got some ideas. All right. And we'll see if they work. Well, sounds good. Sounds entertaining, (laughs) as you said. It's it's a battle for sure. But the the house is awesome, and and we're very happy there. So Perfect. Yeah. Great. This is Saturday morning. We get together, and we have a discussion about what's impacting your landscape. And uh, how about your house plants that you set out or those that are still inside your house? And do you need to improve your soils this time of year? What should you be doing? Should you be looking out for bugs and diseases and insects? Uh, Use information that I share with you to make some good decisions. My thoughts will help, hopefully, and that will solidify with the final judgment on your shoulders. This is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is James. He's producing, so when you call... He answers the phone. He also pushes all the buttons so you can hear me when I'm talking. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation. If you'd like for me to do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Mascuda and uh, looking forward to that. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The first full week of summertime. 
Yes. So last week, Good Gardening Stroll, I said goodbye to Bear's Garden Shop. Now let's see what's happening in my, our yard. At the east end, that's where the garage and alley, there's a probably a four or five foot wide planting space there. There's a huge stand of purple coneflowers, and a majority of those are self-seeded. I planted probably two or three plants, and now there's hundreds that are in bloom. Also, I spice it up with some milkweed. Around to the north, in between the sidewalk and street, I have sedum acre, some white sweet alyssum, and some yellow creeping jenny there. Backyard, lawn is zoysia, which uh, is embracing the sidewalk and the patio that I have in the backyard. I have probably a dozen plus or minus pots with elephant ears, castor beans, calla lilies, morning glory, moonflowers, among others. And along the house, my mugo pine still looks pretty good. Boxwood, there's a cypress there. They dominate. And then underneath, you're going to find sedum acre, ground cover, purple leaf coral bells, Japanese painted fern. Uh, the blue-gray hosta is stuck in there. He's <laughs> they're looking pretty good. And then the kaffir lily, too. That's one that I was talking about last week that... My Aunt Cleo got me when I first moved back from California in the late 70s. And they're still looking good. They finished flowering with their orange flowers, but uh, also in in that space there in between the sidewalk and our house, there's a purple purple Tratus cantia. There's cannas, there's elephant ears, and a couple of different varieties of tropical begonias. All the bulb lilies, they've finished flowering, but the foliage still looks pretty good. And uh, there's uh, some, the wild, or I guess native, natural plants of the uh, Tratus cantia as well, the blue-flowered ones. People, you know, I mean, it's considered a weed, but I think it looks pretty fine. On the west side, which faces Christie Park, our slow front yard with zoysia looks really pretty good. I've been battling some of the broadleaf weeds, so there's some brown spots in my zoysia, but that's the way it goes, how to kill off stuff. On a small patio, there's a bench. There's pots with cannas and elephant ears. There's some tropical sedums, too, and a blue gazing ball. And uh, then on the south side, that's between Pam and us, sedum live forevers, lily of the valley, and sedum acre. So... That is the tour de yard for the beginning of summertime. So it's been a pretty good year so far. A couple things I've had to get rid of, but I've wanted to get rid of them anyway. So this just kind of gave me an excuse to. And uh, underneath the maple trees, the four or three maple trees, the uh, sugar maples that we have that are street trees, I'm having a tough time on a couple different locations to try to grow anything at all because of the surface roots in the maple are so, I mean, because they're squeezed in, to be honest with you, in between the sidewalk and the street, it is, there's hardly any soil. I keep adding a, you know, an inch or so of soil and just let it blend down into the existing soil. I work it in in the hopes of trying to get something to grow, but uh, it hasn't been all that much luck. I always think, ah, this really looks good, and then two years later, it's gone. Anyway, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Work or play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. 
When I was coming up, uh, Tucker, to get to hear it uh, on Olive for KMWX, there was a small marching band of about six or seven people, and I guess there's going to be a marching band parade as part of this celebration for the 4th of July, so that should be kind of wild. But, uh, man, that tuba and trumpet, I guess it was a trumpet, or maybe it was a trombone. I couldn't—I didn't get a chance to look at it really close. But... Uh, they don't even look alike, so I should know the difference. But anyway, so that music was kind of interesting to hear. So let's start off the day with going into Philip's yard. Hi, Philip. How are you? Just fine. I wanted to talk to you about uh, our yard was established in the 1850s. We've been a very old house, and we lost a Kentucky coffee tree about 15 years ago. It was tornado damage, and it never recovered. I wanted to know if I could plant a Kentucky to- coffee tree now in that same spot. Fifteen years later, if that tree has been gone that long, then uh, certainly. Good. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of interesting trees, too. Oh, it's fascinating, and it was hated to lose it, but it just never recovered. (laughs) Well, that can happen for sure with the crazy storms that we have. But good luck with that. Thank you. Sure. And now let's go to Elias. Hello. Hi. Yeah, good morning, uh, Mike. I have um, rosemary and some herbs, you know, like Greek, oregano, and Italian, and mint. It will help if I put the sand when I propagate them, and then I put them inside in the pot. Some sand and some compost will help with potting soil. Well, I probably, if you're going to get a potting soil, you could add those other things, too, yes, But get a potting soil for starting plant material. So it'll be specifically, just don't get regular potting soil. And You you want to get a potting mix, and you want to get a potting mix for starting plant material. It's formulated better for uh, new plants to get their root systems established and everything else. How about sand in the bottom of the uh, pot? Uh, Sand, that helps a little bit, but... uh, that's you know kind of small, so it's going to go through the drainage holes in the bottom of your pot. I would say maybe consider uh, pea gravel versus sand. So an inch or two of pea gravel at the bottom of the you know the pot, depending upon the size of the pot that you have, that will help with the drainage at the very bottom. Okay. My second question: I have used, and they go in on every direction. Which uh, when is the best time to uh, trim them? Yeah, not in the heat of the summertime. So wait. Until we're coming out of summertime, sometime after mid to late August, all the way up until, uh, I would say, probably mid to late October. Get it done during that time period. Okay. My third question is, I have a raised garden, and the weeds is flourishing. Do you have any, any anything beside the chemical to use? I went to the Google, and they said just one gallon of vinegar with one cup of salt. I said, no, doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there are, uh, you know, horticultural vinegars that will help control the weeds. And uh, I would say, are you growing other plant material in there right now? Uh, yeah, you know, like tomatoes, basil, oh. and uh, uh, some uh, uh, pepper, you know, all the stuff. But I try to... Keep after the weeds, but as soon as it's raining, you know, they're coming back. Sure. Yeah, so maybe in the future, uh, 
uh, just kind of watch out and get the weeds early on. But there's the unfortunate thing is weeds, as they grow, they can produce seed pretty quickly. They'll flower and seed and then drop the seed. So they kind yeah. of self-perpetuate themselves, and that's where their trouble is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. And remember, this land is my land. This land is your land. Okay? Yes, very much so. Thanks, yeah. Elias. <laughs> and now let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I have a friend who is having trouble with her plants, the lamb's ears, and they seem to be rotting from underneath. Any tips for her? Basically, they have to be in a really extremely well-drained soil, and they have to be in a situation where they're in the sun pretty much all day long, every day, mm-hmm. as much as possible. But the drainage is, ex- is extremely crucial. So is this an old stand or group or colony of the lamb's ear, or is this a new one she just planted? Uh, she has both in her garden, and the old ones seem to be dying out. Of course, maybe the new ones haven't been planted long enough for that to happen. I don't really know. Well, if she's had them, you know, and they're on an older stand or colony or whatever, I'm surprised that in previous years they didn't have, you know, trouble. But this early spring... You know, there was a lot of moisture, but we haven't had much rain at all. I don't know if she's doing any additional watering or not. A lot of times, well, I know. I'm sorry. I'm, oh. I know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. A lot of times people think when a plant looks bad, it's because it needs more water, and many times that's exactly what it doesn't need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that could be the case. She told me some, some friend told her to water for an hour. Whoa. Yeah, I thought that was too long. <laughs> The lamb's ear really doesn't need any additional watering other than the rainfall, even if it's very inconsistent. Okay, that helps a great deal. I will call her and tell her. <laughs> Thank, sure. Thank you, Mike. My Thank pleasure. you, Mike. We've got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Some of the things to think about uh, as we have come into July the iris that you have after they bloom, that's the time to divide your iris. So some of them, you know, it's probably already done as far as flowering goes, and maybe it could have been a, a while ago, a couple months. And uh, but still, you can still divide them during the month of iris, during the month of iris, during the month of July, and basically water newly installed, planted trees and shrubs once a week, and water them pretty thorough. Don't water them, and hopefully you dug the hole the right size, and they've got a adequate drainage for them. And also keep up with the weeding. I, I was telling the gentleman that, uh, you know, where he had the tomato or he had his vegetable garden, his raised bed, where he had a really bad weed problem. When the weeds are growing, they just, I mean, they can get uh, pollinated and f- form seeds so quickly and then just drop the seeds so when you think that everything is okay, then uh, then you've got another colony of them coming. And don't fertilize any kind of trees or shrubs after the 4th of July. So no more fertilizing, basically. 4th of July is just kind of a, let's say, early July. And because you don't want to force any kind of new growth as the plant material starts facing wintertime. Let's head now over to Charlie's yard. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Mike, how are you? Very good. Good. Hey, I have a question on a Japanese maple. Um, It's been established about six years. It's about four foot tall, and it looks like the top half of it is dying off. 
Um, you know, it's to the point of where I'm, you know, taking the top part of the branches and they're actually I'm breaking them off so they're not soft or anything like that. I know with the winter it was pretty cold, so I'm not sure if it just got frostbitten and it might come back or if there's some sort of a disease that's going on. The soil's draining well. It's well mulched the whole nine yards. You got any thoughts? Uh, basically, I think your analysis is pretty good because uh, it's just it could be weather related, and we're talking about the the one that looks like an umbrella. Yep. Because you yep. said, yeah, that, that's if the top of that's going bad, that's not a good sign. So okay. uh, I would say just kind of keep all, any of the dead stuff or any of the stuff that is not producing. Did it produce any kind of foliage at all this year? Uh, the underside of it is producing foliage. The trunk's producing foliage. But, like, you know, I've tried to trim up some of the dead stuff, like, to what I think was alive. Right. And it's really not and it's really not coming back. Like, oh. you know, there's no new growth. So, and, I mean, I even tried to, you know, water it because it's kind of up by the house. So, you know, I wasn't sure, you know. I mean, we went from extremely cold to, you know, 100-degree weather. So right. I don't know if the thing is... Um, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely in trouble, but it's it's easy enough to get rid of. But I don't really want to because I like the tree. Sure, of course. And uh, let's see, is it in a partially shaded location? Is it too? Is it close to larger? You know, like oak trees, maple uh, trees, elms. No, there's nothing. Uh, like I said, right up next to the house. Uh, there's nothing really around it other than the house, and there's a few. Um, uh, holly bushes that are okay. kind of far far away from it. So, but it's uh, shaded in the, in the uh, morning, and then it's got you know pretty much full sun in the afternoon. Yeah, it's got to be you know more than likely if a tree of that age, you know, when it's got you know problems suddenly after you know let's say five years of success up to this point, uh, it's probably it's got to be weather related. And if you get another one. And you want to put it in the same location, push it further away from the house and make sure it's not underneath the eave. And the reason why you want to push it further away from the house also is because the alkalinity of your uh, concrete foundation. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, is there anything I can do to nurse this thing along to see if it comes back? Do I add some, what uh, what do you, lime? Lime? No, not lime, but what do you, what's the opposite of lime? Yeah, you could try some iron sulfate, but uh, it's that's probably I would probably just kind of leave it alone and see if it can kind of, let's say, catch its own breath because there's nothing that you're going to be able to do since you've had some major, you know, damage to it related to right. you know again weather. So there's nothing that's going to just sort of like turn it around real quickly. So it's got to slowly but surely catch its breath. Let's put it that way. Okay, so you would just leave the. What kind of looks like what's dead, leave that on there and just see if it kind of comes back. Well, the stuff that looks dead, I would just go ahead and cut that out so you don't have to see it. And hopefully there's okay. enough remaining that you can still get the quality of the, you know, the Japanese maple for the reason why you bought it. Yeah, no, it, and that'd, be, that'd work because it's about half of it. You know, the top half looks bad. The bottom half looks average. Right. So. All right, awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, you never know. I mean, there's so much quirky stuff with our weather, as everybody knows. I mean, all the rain we had, then it was been so dry, and then how cold it was, and it got so hot so quick, and just nutty stuff here. So good luck with that, Charlie. And, all right, well, appreciate it, Mike. Yep. Mike Miller, KMWS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
KMOX is Cardinals Radio. It's the Cards and Phillies this afternoon. Ameren pregame show 210. First pitch 305 on KMOX and streaming on KMOX.com. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got some phone lines open and uh, some of the other things that you could really be doing. If you'd like to go ahead and plant some zinnias, cosmos, alyssum, seed, you've got to get it done probably in Cleome as well by the 4th of July so you can get some late-blooming annuals. And speaking of annuals, your annual plants should be fertilized about every two weeks to get them to be the most robust as far as color-wise and growth-wise and everything else. I'm pretty loyal about that. I use uh, the uh, Scott's miracle Grow. I mean, it's not miracle Grow, but Liquifeed. And that analysis is 12-4-8. And that's what I use to fertilize pretty much everything, my lawn, the, my plants and the uh, pots and everything else as well. Let's head now over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, it, it concerns a uh, one of the old-fashioned lilac bushes with the large leaf and the, and the real large blooms. Uh, we had uh, uh, it's been planted probably for about six or seven years now. We've had a few years of blooms, uh, and then we've not had anything for the last uh, two years. Uh, we thought might have been because I didn't prune it correctly. Uh, now it's about nine and a half feet tall. Uh, it's also, uh, it gets maybe too much water because it's in an area where we have a sprinkler system along the side of the house. Um, any thoughts on, uh, on, on why it won't bloom? Uh, basically, you're, you're just leave it alone. Don't do any pruning at all. And maybe if you have done any pruning, you've sequenced it out of the bloom cycle. So in other words, you've pruned when the potential buds for the flowers were on the stems, even though they weren't noticeable, and you cut those off. So just no pruning at all. And if it was a water circumstance, then the foliage was not would not look good. So water doesn't just impact flowering or foliage. It impacts both of them. So in other words, if there's too much water, then you're not going to have a good foliage and you're not going to have any flowering either. Okay, great. That was that was my bad then the way I pruned. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, anything that blooms in the springtime like the lilac does, you should get it pruned within about uh, 30 days or so of it flowering. And then after that, okay. don't do any pruning at all. Okay. We'll 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 try that and hopefully it'll work. Thank you. Yep. And now let's head over to Laura's yard. Hi Laura. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question about the timing on using pre-emergent weed control. I've heard in other shows you suggest that we apply it maybe in August or early September. And I'm wondering, my my husband has protocol where he uses grass seed every fall. Will that disrupt his grass seed if he's putting the grass seed on subsequent to the pre-emergent? How do I handle the timing on that? Yeah, you can't. I mean, basically, okay. yes, pre-emergent will kill any kind of seed that as it's germinating. So you got to say one or the other. And uh, if you've got a major weed problem, maybe one year or so of uh, skipping putting the grass seed down or, and then, you know, put the pre-emergent down. 
or just go ahead and you know oversee as historically your husband does, and then but you can't do them both at the same time. So for, even if he if we were to do it in August and then not see it until October and November, that would still be a problem. Uh, probably shouldn't be, but you never really know. It may impact okay. it a little bit. And anyway, putting the seed down that late, October, November, it may germinate, and then we could have, let's say, a cold snap, and that could kill it off that way. So it wouldn't necessarily be the pre-emergent. It just would be the factor of putting the seed down okay. not at the best time. So every other year is probably the safest way. Yeah, I would say yes. And, it, you know, the the weeds that are, you're going after in August are the cool season annual weeds. And if you don't have those in your, do you have those in your yard? Uh, some, but not too much. I mean, we our, our neighbor's yard has a lot of violets, and we, we get a lot of spread from other yards. But he's got it pretty well under control. He just always wants it better. You right. Know? <laughs> I was, well, there's never going to be a perf- picture-perfect yard in this region, regardless of what you do. But I would say then I would kind of skip the, the pre-emergent and just put uh, the grass seed down on an annual basis. basis. Okay. Okay. And that probably having a thick, strong enough turf will inhibit the weeds. That does help. Extent. It doesn't eliminate okay. them, but it does help do a little bit of control. Great. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And let's see. Now let's go over to, Lin- uh, let's go to uh, Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Good morning. I had a question about blossom end rot on my tomato plants. I I grow them in buckets, and this spring I thought it would be a good idea to take some of the dirt out and replace it with a miracle Grow potting mix. And the, the leaves are gorgeous, and I've got a lot of tomatoes coming, but they've all got that black uh, rot on the bottom of them. Did I cause that? <sighs> no, probably not. Uh, blossom end rot basically, you know, is if you're not really getting consistent amount of moisture, that's really the problem. And also, if you're fertilizing with tomato food, it will have calcium in it, and then that calcium helps you know, minimize the blossom end rot. So uneven watering, and then also the fact that the the p- soil the potting mix or whatever you the blend or whatever you're doing doesn't have uh you know the calcium in it to help with the blossom end rot. Can you overwater a tomato? Generally if the plant looks healthy as far as leaves and everything else goes, no, you haven't overwatered. You could overwater, but uh then they start really looking, they start drooping, let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll try to control the watering because I'm using the miracle Grow tomato food. Well, that sounds perfect. So just, you know, irregular watering, that's, you know, that could cause the problem. So you're doing everything you possibly can. Will the tomato plant come out of of this uh, funk and start giving me nice tomatoes? <laughs> it's... <laughs> Well, it should. I mean, they still have a couple months of, you know, production ahead of them. So that's something that, you know, is a realistic circumstance. Keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> and also, also, I was going to say about the hummingbird feeders. I, You know how they've got the little yellow bee guard with that domed thing on a lot of them? Right. The squirrels have chewed off some of mine. 
but left the base, the yellow part of the base of the bee guard. And I've noticed that the hum, that the uh, woodpeckers and little finches are drinking from that part. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So that's <laughs> really been cool to watch them. They're taking advantage. <laughs> So maybe some people might not want to replace the bee guards if they get lost because the other birds are enjoying them. Wow, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Mike. Sure, thank my you. pleasure. And now let's go from Linda to another Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, hi. I was just listening to the other Linda talk about this blossom end rot, and I think that um, we have solved that with ours. We had it. And every year now, when we plant our tomato plants, in the bottom of the hole, we put eggshells, composted eggshells, and banana peel for the calcium and potassium. Ah. And we also use we use this uh, tomato food that we got at a local nursery out here in, in Oakville. It's called a frog, and it's really got a high calcium content. And so, but I think it's mostly the eggshells. And then we continue just to put our eggshells, you know, around the tomatoes after they're growing. So we just don't have that problem anymore in a pot or in the ground. Well, that sounds great. So, yeah, the tomato food is definitely the thing because if they don't use specific tomato food, you got a huge giant plant that keeps growing and, you know, not that many tomatoes. But yeah, we put, I don't know, we read that somewhere or you said, I don't know where we found that information about, you know, in the hole, but it goes right in the bottom of the hole when we put the new plant in. And I think that's the most beneficial. Right. Well, that we sounds have a, good. My, my friend has helped me with some situations with that same kind of thing, blossom end rot on jalapeno peppers. My daughter-in-law has in pots. And so she thinks that it could be inconsistent watering, but my daughter-in-law said that she watered pretty good this year. And what do you, do you know any more information about that? Well, the inconsistent and then the calcium are the, really the two most impactful things as far as, and toma- and peppers are in the same family as tomatoes, so they're cousins. In essence, oh, okay. so they're impacted by this, you know, the exact same thing. Same thing. Okay, so I'm heading over there today sometime with uh, <laughs> with all our eggshells that we use the last couple of days. <laughs> and then I wonder if I should put, probably should put some of that same fertilizer that I'm using on our tomatoes with the high calcium on her peppers might help too. Right, certainly. Okay. Yeah, I think this frog stuff, I don't know, it's a little expensive. It's like, I think it might be fifteen dollars a bag, but I think it actually does better than the Miracle Grow ah. tomato food to me. So, just a hint for the other Linda. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. thanks. Have a great Fourth of July. Yes, you do the same. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We have some phone lines open. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have a few minutes before we go to a break. And the lady was calling earlier, and she was wondering about putting a, a pre-emergent out at the same time that her husband puts out grass seed, and I told her, no, you can't do that. 
what you know the weeds that are be would be problematic that germinate in August, mid to late August, are henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, Persian speedwell, rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse. Those are the ones that are, are problematic. They germinate in August, grow all winter long, then. Probably after a couple months and they start producing seed, then they drop the seed. That's where the problems with these annual weeds are. And those are the cool season weeds. Now, the warm season weeds are completely different. You control those with a pre-emergent in the springtime. But you cannot put down a pre-emergent the same time you put down grass seed because it will kill it. It doesn't really care what you <laughs> what the seed is. Any seed that germinates, it's got trouble. Uh, another thing also, we've had several questions related to t- tomatoes. So after you, t- you know, you have good luck with your tomato, you harvest them, you, they should be kept cool for, uh, like a week before you eat them. I mean, they, you can hold them that long, but you're better off not to put your tomatoes in refrigerators. It's a little bit too cool. Uh, another thing, uh, if you have rhubarb or asparagus, Keep a, you know keep ahead of the weeds as far as that goes, but this is a good time of year to make the a fertilizing on your rhubarb or asparagus as well. Your cool season lawns, no fertilizer, but also keep the watering consistent. Don't overwater, but don't underwater either. And the time that you water is going to make a difference because if you water later in the day, the chance of a fungus problem is going to be enhanced tremendously. So watch out for that, you know, circumstance. So you're better off to start watering in the morning and then finish by, let's say, mid-afternoon at the latest. And uh, as far as how much you want to get uh, your lawn, about an inch of water per week. And uh, avoid puddles. Don't overwater again because that's going to, you know, cause more fungus problems. So you could be thinking you're helping and you're actually doing bad circumstance. And your zoysia, if you have a warm season grass versus a cool season, cool season means fescues and bluegrasses. Warm season is zoysia. It's much more drought tolerant than the cool season lawns. And so watering doesn't have to be quite as intense as far as how much you have to do and how frequently you have to do it if you have a zoysia lawn. And... Uh, just kind of keep a, an eye out for any kind of chinch bugs or bill bugs or things like that if you do have a, a zoysia lawn. Let's head over to Janet's yard. Hi, Janet. Oh, good morning. Um, I tried something new this year. I got three bulbs for uh, elephant ears, and it's just been a joy to see them develop and <laughs> enormous leaves. Um, they they seem to drink water. They each have their own big pot. They seem to drink water like elephants, <laughs> and I do water them freely, so I think they have good drainage. Um, but now uh, the lowest big leaf closest to the soil is uh, they seem to be doing a yellow uh, color now. The other higher leaves look quite happy. And I'm just wondering, is the yellowing just part of the life, uh, you know, the life uh, routine that it's had enough time and it's yellowing or made? And so should I cut it off or am I watering too much, perhaps? 
No, you're not watering too much. If everything looks healthy, basically the one that's turning yellow is probably the oldest leaf. And you're yes. always just going to end up with, let's say, a few leaves to each elephant ear bulb. And so as it, the new leaves start emerging, then the older leaves are just going to start turning you know, yellow and then just go ahead and cut them off. As soon as, well, I that's fine. Okay. So you're doing everything exactly right. And also, they don't mind uh, if you want to do a little fertilizing, too. Oh, well, that's probably a good idea because they're really putting out some green stuff. Great. <laughs> it's been fun. And, and give it a little food. Yes. Thanks so much. I enjoy your show. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. So if you want to get, if you got a quick question, you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Other things, if you, uh, besides the blossom and rot on the tomatoes, uh, you can actually, I talked about, you know, annuals, the zinnias, the cosmos, the alyssum, the cleome seed that you can do now. Also, you can do some additional planting of cucumbers, corn, beans, summer squash that would be harvested in the fall. So you can do late, you know, you think, well, it's way too late to start some seed. No, it's not. It's actually a fairly decent time because the ground is really warm and you're going to be able to get, uh, you know, the seeds to germinate, you know, really very quickly. And uh, just remember, I'm going to remind of watch out for diseases on roses. So, Anytime you start to see some of the spotting and things like that, if you can't figure out what the fungus or problem is on your rose, take some into the garden center and let them you know, tell you this is what the problem is, this is what you should treat it with rather than just trying to guess. And uh, watch out for the Japanese beetles. Somebody sent me an email and I said traps really help. And because he was uh, a little bit concerned, he just got tired of having to Spray and this, the insecticide basically has to hit the Japanese beetle directly or it's not very effective. But another way to take care of that situation is using a systemic insecticide. Systemic means it goes in, onto the ground, up through the vascular system of the plant material, through the root system, and then basically all the way out to the leaf. And then if anything starts feeding on that, it's going to be a, you know, a situation where uh, the bug is dead because it ate some, you know, some foliage that was uh, impacted by systemic insecticide. So s systemics are really a good way to th to think about doing some control. Uh, your mowing height, uh, with your warm season grass, you're going to still, you know, cut it a little bit shorter. But with your cool season grass, you want to make it so uh, they're probably, let's say, three and a half to four inches set your mower at that height with the warm season grass i cut mine a little bit taller and i some of the neighbors were they were yelling at me is our grass tall enough now that we can go ahead and mow well you know anyway we've got another hour of the show so 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 back after the news Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can give a call 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With the ideas, questions, concerns, or comments, Sue and Jill will be getting to you shortly. But, uh, Mr. Kelly, you yep. are quite the party animal. You went to a concert oh, last night? We did. Wow. And then you had to get up at the crack of dawn or before the before crack of dawn. Before the crack of dawn. I had what I call a Gilligan nap. That's a three-hour nap. <laughs> the snoring started getting rough. The tiny bed was tossed. I don't know. But, yeah, it was a short night for sure. Wow. But it was so worth it. Was it? Oh, my goodness. Carlos Santana's just Amazing. And his band, the percussion. It was a great night for percussion be- between Carlos Santana and Earth, Wind, and Fire. You had a lot of banging going on, and it was all great. <laughs> it's so good. And just a lot of fun. I haven't stood up for a whole concert in a long time, and I don't think I sat down for more than a couple songs the whole night. Wow. Yeah, it was so much fun. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm paying for it today, but I'll, I can nap this afternoon. Yeah, it's all, it's all worth it. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. I don't even, I didn't hear that concert was even being staged. Well, it was actually scheduled a couple years ago. So here, here, if you got time, I got a quick story. Okay. So, you know, we got our concert tickets and you look at them and it says July 1st, right? Well, a year ago, July 1st, we drove out to Riverport, Hollywood Amphitheater, and there's nothing there. And then we took another look, and it said, oh, July 1st, 2022. Because you don't usually have concert tickets more than a year in advance. Exactly. And wow. so we, we had a dry run last year. <laughs> Quite fun. Yeah, and last year, last night was the real thing. Well, and it perfect. was well worth it, yes. So, yeah, it was, it was great. Great. Yep. Good to hear. You bet. Thanks. Yes, folks, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs and all arounds. Of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that will take you towards success. Across the big board, James, he's producing. He answers the phone, so he just needs your first name. And uh, when he's not answering the phone, he's pushing buttons and doing all kinds of other stuff as well. I spend my week uh, and weekends doing landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. Mascuda is where I'm headed after the show today, so it should be some fun. I haven't been to Mascuda for a while. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. It is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to the celebration for the 4th of July. It's downtown every year. Some years we do come down for the fireworks. I don't know if we're going to come down this year or not. But it's just the overall situation. All the the people are very nice as far as, you know, at, at the booths and just working and just kind of in general. And to orchestrate that, it's just kind of incredible. So a tip of the trial goes out to everybody that's associated with, what is that, Fourth of July parade? It's not just a parade. It's a lot more than that. It's just a lot of fun all over sort of the center of downtown around the arch. So we can get a couple calls in before we take a break. Let's start off with Jill. Jill, how are you today? I'm just fine, Mike. How are you? Very good. My question is, um, I grow annual hibiscus. I set them in pots and um, kind of nurse them along. They, of course, they love the heat and the sunshine, but they set buds 
oftentimes set buds and then the buds yellow and the stem yellows and they drop off and they don't bloom. Do you know why that is? No, these are annual. So in other words, these are ones that you, you're talking about perennial type or are you talking about the tree types? I'm just talking about the annual ones that you set in um, and, you know, you put in a pot or whatever. They're not the big um, perennials. They're the annual. Okay. So, you know. The, the yeah. tropicals might. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is the watering circumstance would cause that. So I would back off on the watering. I'm assuming you're doing the fertilizing and everything else. And, uh, yes. I mean, you're doing everything just right. It just seems like, you know, what's, what you're describe, describing is related to watering. So back off on the watering. Will do. Thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, bye. Bye. And now let's go over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi, how Hi. are you, Mike? Very good. Uh, our backyard is bordered on two sides by fields, um, which are cut but not weeded or anything. And we're getting creeping Charlie all over our backyard. <laughs> what do I do? Basically, you can use like a weed be gone type thing. That's what I would go after with. And then, okay, and then we'll have to reseed. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to try to get as much of it under control as you can now. And, yeah, you will have to probably reseed because it's, you know, I mean, it's a it's a horrible weed for sure. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. And yeah. uh, once it gets established, it's real trouble. So just watch out for that. Well, I think it's established now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but just realize, you know, if you put the, read the temperature lay on the label related to, don't spray this weed killer, you know, during a, you know, when the temperature is above X amount of degrees because you could do some damage to the plants that you're not trying to impact. So just got to okay. be careful about that. But a weed be gone should get rid of it. Okay. What about Roundup? Uh, Roundup will kill everything. So weed be gone. won't. Yeah. Weed be gone. If we're talking about in your lawn, weed be gone will not impact your grass. It will impact the weed, the creeping Charlie only. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to the Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning. I have a question regarding black-eyed Susans. I've got several in the backyard, been there about uh, three years. They're doing great. The foliage looks good. Early spring, I transplanted some to a planter in the front yard. And the ones in the planter are uh, drooping. The foliage does not look good. And uh, it, uh, I've used a potting mix. I'm careful as far as uh, watering and uh, fertilizing about once every three weeks or so. And uh, uh, yeah, any suggestions about the ones in the planter? Uh, the ones in the planter, they just don't have the root system established. So whatever you know, whatever happened when you dug them up and moved them to the new location, they just haven't had a chance to catch up, and that's what the problem is. I would say watch okay. out. Don't do any kind of fertilizing. Watch out about overwatering. Let them kind of catch their breath because black-eyed Susans, generally the sunflower family of that you know that nature, really don't like a whole lot of water. So if they're looking bad, definitely don't water. Just leave them alone. Okay. 
Uh, but they will grow in a container, right? They should. You know, I grow. Uh, I've grown black-eyed Susans in a container. I've grown, you know, purple coneflowers in containers. It just depends upon you know the exposure, how much soil there is. You know, because there has to be enough. I mean, they can take the heat, they can take the sun, they can take everything. But if it's a little bit too intense, then it could be problematic to it. So I don't know how you know how big your planter box is. Yeah, it's about three foot long. And how deep? Um, it's about um, 18 inches deep. Oh, so that should be adequate. Yeah. Okay. All right, Mike. Well, thank you for uh, the advice, and uh, happy 4th of July. Same to you, and thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KM Moist Garden Hotline, back after these messages, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. Phone lines open 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over and see what's going on with Connie's yard. Hi, Connie. Hi, I'm calling from Oakville, and I am curious best time of the year to trim peonies plants basically let, leave the foliage you know they've already finished flowering you've cut the you know spent flowers off probably or you should have and uh, just when the foliage starts turning yellowish which is probably going to be oh another month or two then you can cut it off but uh, leave it while it still looks robust and green leave it and then uh, cut it off once it starts let's say heading downhill Okay, and also fertilizing a lawn. I know you mentioned a little earlier, but we have been using Melorgolite, and uh-huh. we have a mix of probably fescue and some zoysia. Okay to be using that this time of the year? Yeah, it's pretty low analysis. So, I mean, the fescue doesn't really like to be fertilized during the heat of the summertime, but, you know, since you're using Melorgonite, it's very low analysis. It shouldn't probably do any kind of problem with that. And that's a pretty wild combination of <laughs> lawns. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting a mix. The zoysia is starting to take over, but we're trying to um, we still we still have a lot of green with the um, cold weather as well. Right. Okay, and one cla- what, one last question: um, planting garlic. Is there a special? Do you need to get it from a garden shop, or can we buy garlic and start it indoors and plant that outside? You mean like buy it like you were going to eat it? Instead, you yes. planted it. Uh, you could try that, but I wouldn't. It's probably not all that reliable because it may be too old. That it's you know, as far as germination and everything else, it may germinate and it may start pushing some growth. But I don't think you. It's not going to colonize. I wouldn't think. So okay. I would get it. Time a, of the year. To, pardon me. Time of the year to be starting garlic. Uh, basically, it's the only time it's probably going to be available. Well, maybe there may be some of the garden centers that would have it for fall, but basically, it's a springtime planter. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Sure. And now let's go over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, I'm calling from Fairview Heights, and thank you for taking my call, Mike. And my question is, I have a uh, what's called a perfect purple crab apple tree that I planted last year, and I've been battling with the deer because they've been chewing on it. Ooh. And I notice that it's really dropping leaves, and some of the stems are just bare. And... Um, and I have seen where they've been chewed off. And uh, that's also chewing on my newer uh, profusion crab apple tree. And so 
I noticed that the other one, no, the first one, the purple crab apple, has got that brown mildew on it, on the leaves. Uh-huh. And I, I sprayed it with fungicide, uh, but I don't know if there's something better I should be doing. Well, I mean, the the, the mildew, the you know, it could be cedar apple rust. It could be a couple different things. And then consequently, what you have to do is you have to start spraying the fungicides before you actually see it. So when the leaves start coming out, when they're about halfway out, you make the first application of the fungicide, then wait a couple weeks and another application, and then make a third application after that. That should, But once it's there and obvious and you're trying to control it, you're not really doing too much good. Okay. So what is there anything I can do to save the tree? Uh, I would say... You're just going to have to let you know let whatever happens happens to it. And as far as the deer related to the deer, try uh, hanging some bars of Irish Spring soap, like on posts around the trees that you're trying to keep them away from. Oh, you know I've heard you tell other people that about other things. Yeah, it's really so, it's a smell that the deer really don't care for. Irish Spring soap. Yeah, I've, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know they still made it. Right. But I will do that, and should I keep on spraying it with the fungicide then? It won't do any good. I mean, the okay, problem's so already there, so you're just kind of wasting your t- mental money and real money both. Yeah, and the last time I tried to do it, it, it just fell down in my back in my face, so I really wasn't Ooh. enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, well, thanks very much, Mike. You really helped, and, and good luck with your show, and I listen to you. Almost every Saturday if I'm not working. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. Well, thank you so much. Sure. And now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, oak trees in the backyard. They're about 30 years old. And I guess it was last uh, fall or this spring that they just uh, rained down with uh, a lot of uh, acorns. I had so many acorns, I, I was just crunching all over the place. And I tried to pick up some of the acorns, but obviously I didn't get them all. And I probably have around 300 small little sprouts coming up in the <laughs> middle of the yard. And I didn't know, um, I initially tried to start pulling them out, and that's just an uh, endless project. Right. And I didn't know whether just cutting the grass is going to get rid of them or whether they're just going to keep on coming back. Well, if you if there's only like two or two sets of leaves, so in other words, four leaves, if you cut off those four leaves and just leave the stem, that'll kill it. So okay. I don't know how low your mower set or anything like that. Yeah, see, I didn't want to get too low right now because, you know, it's too hot. Right, exactly. So you have to just kind of be careful. So, I mean, you could just go out there with a just a pruner and just cut off, you know, 10 or 15 a day until you finally get them all cut. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. And one other question. I have some hydrangea. Uh, and they're just not blooming. They're two or three years old. They're the miniature ones, and they're just not blooming at all. And I just didn't know if it's a question of uh, they're just not bloomers, or if I just don't have them in the right area. Well, that could you know could be either one of those type things. So, have, historically, have they bloomed the f- previous two years? No, no, they have not bloomed since we even put them in. Okay, so I would say get rid of them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I appreciate it. Sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Yep, you do the very same thing. And now let's go over to Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Say, so we had a uh, Bradford tree removed from our front yard this past week. It was probably about 40 feet tall. Ooh. 
It was pretty big tree, and uh, I'm surprised it lasted that long in the wind in St. Louis. Uh, my question is, how soon can we plant a tree in the front yard, and how close can we plant to the uh, to the old tree? Well, where the old tree was, where the trunk is, I mean, that's important. I mean, they grind out the stump and everything else, but the lateral root system go out as you know, as far out and slightly farther than the width of the branches were. So just okay. the further you get away, the better it's going to be as far as putting something new in because the root system will continue to absorb nutrients and moisture because it doesn't realize it's been beheaded. So just <laughs> okay. it's going to take it a couple of years before the root system entirely implodes. So don't put it too close because it's going to be just trouble for anything that you put in there. All right, and uh, how soon before we plant a new tree? Would would you recommend? I would say wait at least. You could if you well, it just depends upon how daring you are and uh, you know what size tree you're going to get. I wouldn't get a larger tree because you're going to be expending a whole lot of money, and consequently, it may not be able to fight the existing Bradford pear root system. So it's just. Uh, just depends upon it's kind of a roll of the dice, let's put it that way. I would say wait one year, but it's not going to make that much difference. If you want to try to some, you know, install something this fall, you could certainly do that and see what happens. Okay. So that was my next question. Best time to plant sounds like spring or fall. You no, know, well, spring is not good. Fall is by far the best. Spring okay. is not good because the ground's cold. The root system is slow to establish when the ground is cold. And then the newly installed plant has to face our summertime, which you know how screwy that can be. Where right. if you plant them in the fall, they get to go to sleep for the wintertime, and that's nice. the best thing. Awesome. Thanks for the information. Sure, my pleasure. Bye-bye. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yeah, it's not only, uh, you know, the plant material, the, you know, installing in the fall, but the ground is warm because we're coming out of summer and warm ground is what triggers root growth. And that's newly installed something. That's why fall is by far the best time to plant really any kind of woody plant material for sure. So back after these messages. If you live in an area where deer are problematic and you're trying to grow some perennials, here's a list of perennials. These are sun varieties that the deer really stay away from. So one would be the milkweed, columbine, primrose, lungwort, purple coneflower, and the majority of the varieties of ferns, which some can take the sun, some can take the shade, and the Russian sage. Some of the things that in the shade, Helleborus, Simicifuga, and Acanthus. So those are perennials that deer kind of leave alone unless they're really desperate, like we have extended periods of no moisture or anything. So when they're growing, they would be strictly going for these particular plants for a moisture factor. So hosta, that's one of the reasons why they go after hostas because they're big leaves for the most part and they have a lot of moisture content to them. Some of the bulbs, uh, some, the onions, the crocus, the snowdrops, the grape hyacinths, the fritillarias and the daffodils, they stay generally away from for the most part. So let's head over to Tom's yard and see what's going on over there. Hi, Tom. Hi, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, Real quick, uh, my experience with uh, removing a Bradford pear and replacing it with something else. Three years ago, we had three Bradford pears cut down, uh, and I found this uh, 
herbicide called Crossbow. And so I used it full strength on the stumps around the cambium layer. And within three or four months, the stumps and the roots were dead. Wow. And I had, and, um, I had a stump grinder come by in the spring just because I wanted them to go through winter and make sure that they were, um, that they were dead. And the stump grinder came, removed the stumps. We had two uh, crab apple trees planted um, nearby. It was in the strip between our street and our sidewalk. And we're going on year three with the crab apples. They're looking great. The, the, um, I was able to pull out most of the dead rotted root from the, from the uh, pear trees. And I also got three free trees from Missouri Forest Relief for their uh, pear buyback program. Right. Wow. Well, that's great. That's good insight. So good luck to the gentleman with the dead Bradford pear. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot. Nothing teaches like experience. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Yep. Thank you. So we have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just remember, we still haven't had that rain. They keep talking, well, we're going to have rain on Saturday, rain Sunday, rain Monday, but we really haven't had much. Now, there are areas south of the city in Jefferson County and spots like that that have had some rain this morning, but uh, an inch of water... Really, whether it's irrigated, you know, from sprinklers, regardless of how, you know, how it's done, rainfall or anything else, is really what plant material just in general needs. And just remember, if we have stronger winds, that dries out the ground, that dries out the moisture just for the plant materials, too. So we've had some, you know, relatively strong winds and just kind of keep that in mind. And as far as, like, disease prevention on your lawns, uh, keep your mower blades sharp. That makes a huge difference because a dull mower blade will have a tendency to kind of fray the top of the blade, and that encourages disease problems in general. So just, I mean, keep it sharp. There's no problem with doing that. So also make sure that you do your mowing enough where the clippings as you run over with a, your mower, are generally about one inch, not much longer than that, because if they if it gets too long, then they kind of pile up on top of each other, and that could be problems from the standpoint because you haven't, let's say, bagged them, and consequently that can cause humidity problems and a fungus problem. So that's there's all kinds of different things you have to be conscious of because fungus, you know, on the cool season lawns, is a major problem. Yes, on warm season lawns too, but on the fescues and bluegrasses, it's by far the worst. And now let's go over to Joan's yard. Hi, Joan. Hi. Hi. Um, you're always talking about the uh, the ash trees, and I have a mountain ash. And someone told me that that I wouldn't have to worry about a mountain ash dying. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Generally, the mountain ash are not impacted by the you know the emerald ash borer. Okay, because mine's beautiful. Right. <laughs> and I thought, I hope it's not going to die. <laughs> no, you should be okay. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And uh, this is a good time of year, too, to because we're, I mean, we're in kind of, let's say, just the starting of summertime. But if we're going to do any kind of, you know, let's say, 
applications of fall feeding for our cool season lawns. Get your soil tested and find out what's going on with your soil test. That soil test is going to tell you if you're going to do some fertilizing, watch out because you've got extreme amounts of this. You don't have enough of this. That, that It's going to tell you exactly what your soil is about. So consequently, that's going to really help you. So the to- soil test, you can find out by going to the University of Missouri Extension, or you can give them a call, 314-400-2115, and you can drop off your soil sample at the University of Missouri Extension office in Kirkwood. It's on East Monroe. Or else you can just ship it down to uh, Columbia and have it down, you know, sent down there. And then it's going to take a couple weeks to get the soil test back. And the soil test is going to tell you that the, I mean, the soil conditions really have a huge impact on your plant health, not just you know, for lawns and anything else, for any kind of plant material. And so you may be, especially if you've been using the same fertilizer over and over and over again for years, like a triple 12 or something like that, the last two numbers have a tendency to build up in your soil and they become to the disadvantage of whatever you're trying to grow. So now let's go from Joan's yard over to Diane's yard. Hi, Diane. Oh, hi there. Hi. I had five arborvitae planted last spring. They're about five foot tall. Four are looking great. One of them has a yellow tint to it and not looking good. And it it's about 10 foot from where I have water coming out. I'm wondering, is that yellow tint a result of maybe getting too much water? It could certainly be. I mean, that uh, arborvitae generally, they... The part of the world they're from, let's say historically, is very rocky. And so that means there's not a lot of potential for extremely wet circumstances for the root system. So, yes, this doesn't sound good. Is there any way? I mean, if so if I try to keep that water from coming over there, is it, I mean, will it turn around or is it too late? Uh, Maybe too late. It just depends upon how yellow it is. But once they start turning yellow overall, that's not a good sign because their ability to then produce chlorophyll, which is food, is reduced because it's not green anymore. And that's not to say plants that have foliage that's, let's say, maroon like a Japanese maple or yellow like this plant or whatever it happens to be. is, you know, I mean, it could be problematic. It could be trouble. I mean, you could try it and see what's going to happen and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Mm. Okay. Darn. Okay, well, <laughs> that's what I was afraid of. Yeah, it may be okay, but uh, it doesn't sound good. Yeah, it doesn't look good. So, okay, thanks for the info. Love sure. your show. My pleasure. And now let's see what's going on with Denny. Hi, Denny. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Mike, I've got a, a stand of Liriope grass that goes along our front entry sidewalk, and it's just overrun this year with nuts edge. Is Ooh. there any way that I could treat the nuts edge that's in the middle somehow without? harming the liriope? Yeah, there is actually nutsedge killer or, you know, basically should not, you know, impact your liriope. Okay, but so, just, so it, but, is select, it, it is selective enough that it won't hurt the right. rest of it? but just watch out as far as related to temperature-wise. So even yeah. though in theory won't impact your liriope, if it's too hot when you're spraying, it could impact the liriope, you know, adversely. So just be real cautious about that. 
So maybe if watch for a temperature moderation and try it. Yeah, look at the you know look at the the nuts edge, uh, you know label and read the label, read it carefully. If there's any cautionary type things about you know spraying and just follow that. Don't you know? Don't say well it's really not going to make that much difference. Even though it's that hot, it's cloudy. So what? It, it's temperature it. wise, it makes a difference. Okay, one more real quick question. Sure. So. I have a couple of crabapple trees, and I usually early in the season apply uh, dormant oil spray on them, and it's really helped them a lot. Right. But uh, I notice that as we kind of start moving along here in the summer, last couple of years, that they start to get a little bit more, the leaves start to get a little more um, spotty and yellow and stuff like that. Is it okay, as hot as it's been, can I apply another coating of the dormant oil? Is that something I need to be temperature sensitive as well? Yes. Dormant oil spray has to be sprayed basically when there's no foliage on it. But there is a a summer weight horticultural oil that you can apply when the temperatures are higher. I see. Okay, good, good. All right. Very good. Well, you answered both my questions. Thanks a lot, Mike. Great. My pleasure. And 314? 436-7900 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. Very cool music. Let's go over to Diana's yard. Hi, Diana. Hello. Hi. Hi, good morning, Mike. Hi. I've got uh, I've got a question about my tomatoes, cukes, and peppers. There's lots of blooms on them, but they're not setting on. And someone sprayed my carpenter bees about a few weeks ago. I was wondering if I'm having a problem with not having enough pollinators. Uh, that really uh, that shouldn't really impact it. I mean. It could impact it, but the, there can be some wind pollination, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be bee pollination. I see. So it may be just premature a little bit early. I mean, it Maybe is, that's it, yes. I have a few on the bottom, a few tomatoes on the bottom, right. but nothing on the top, a lot of blooms. So, well, I love your show. Thank you so much. I enjoy your program and listen to it every Saturday. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. And now let's go over to Susie's. Hi, Susie. Hi, Mike. Hi. We have two hydrangea bushes that we moved away from the house about three years ago. And now they're only blooming a little bit. And I wondered if I need to prune them or tend to them differently. Just uh, depends upon, are they, should they be blooming now or are they blooming now? Do they bloom earlier or do they bloom later? or they can No, the, they should be blooming now, and like other neighbors of ours, which are before we moved it, ours would bloom just like the other neighbors. Um, but now the neighbors have bloomed a whole lot, and ours have just bloomed like maybe there's three or four blooms on each bush. It just may be the root system is not established enough, and it just, you know, it may be just a maturity factor, even though you'd think a couple years should be adequate. You never know. Each individual plant in the individual circumstance where they were moved from and to, that could probably be the impact. If the foliage still looks good, if everything looks good, I would say don't get in too much of a panic. And uh, are you fertilizing them at all? No, I haven't. Should I? Yes. I mean, I would go ahead and fertilize them and use an acid-based fertilizer, so one for acid-loving plants. 
Okay. Okay, great. And see if that'll help you. Thank you so much. Yep. And I mean, historically, you know, where they were before you moved them, you probably weren't fertilizing at that time at all, and you were still having great flowers. But since they've been moved, they're kind of in a different situation or circumstance. So good luck with that, Susie. And now let's go over to Dave's. Hi, Dave. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Just wanted to ask uh, your opinion on something. I have I ordered two trees from a local nursery that were supposed to be uh, – well, I ordered them in May, and uh, I, I purchased them, should I say, instead of ordered them. And they said that they couldn't come out and plant it until mid-June. And then when mid-June came, they said um, – we can't get out there because it's too hot to plant the trees. And uh, so we'll be there on July 15th. Now, uh, one of them is a red maple and the other one is a magnolia. And is that too late to plant trees? Uh, Well, let me put it this way. If they said mid-June was too hot, mid-July is going to be hotter than mid-June. That's what I thought. So, I mean, historically, maybe this, you know, June was a little bit warmer than normal. But that seems a little bit intense because, I mean, they're being taken care of at the nursery. I would tell them to kind of hold off and do the installation, you know, in like mid to late August, early September, as opposed to doing it in July. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's what I thought. I also, one, one more quickie, sure. if I may, the, um, I have about the, Eight or nine years ago, I, I purchased a um, white crepe, crepe myrtle mm-hmm. and a red crepe myrtle. And every year, the red crepe myrtle dies down, and it does come back the next year, um, but I never get any flowers from it. And it only gets about three or four feet high. The white crepe myrtle, myrtle is going like crazy it's about uh 10 or 12 feet high <laughs> blooms every you know every summer and it's a beautiful plant but uh it is are we too far north for the red or what no the red there's some spectacular reds right now as you drive around through the city so this particular one this shrub wise maybe it is a dwarf maybe there's other you know factors as far as the insulation those are the kind of things that could be impacting it but if it hasn't done very well while its let's say its cousin has done fantastic, I'd say get rid of the one, the red one, and try to get a new one and see if you could, you know, take it off from there. All righty, great. All righty, thanks very much. Appreciate your your advice. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, a lot of times it becomes real, you know, I mean, real trouble if uh, you know you try something, you get something at the same time, and one's short because there are dwarf crepe myrtles. But if it's dwarf, there's nothing wrong with that, but it still should be flowering. That's not something that says it can't be you know, flowering. So thanks, David. Greatly appreciate it. And thanks to everybody uh, for calling in today and for listening to the show. So, And, wow, 4th of July, we're in our neighborhood in South City. We can't really see them, but uh, a couple nights in a row now we've heard some fireworks. So. People are getting out there shooting off those bottle rockets, I guess, or these are, you know, some that are much more than the bottle rocket, apparently. Also, watch out for the um, monarch butterflies. They could be arriving soon. So just like the hummingbirds and everything else, just really kind of keep that in mind. 
and uh, get rid of trouble. If you've got plants with bad aesthetic or growth habits, just like I was talking with this gentleman, uh, consider getting rid of it because you can keep fooling around with something and the end result is not going to be satisfying for you. So really keep that in mind where it's like, I can fool around with this a little bit more and a little bit more. And another thing, as I continue to say, when you're addressing certain scenarios, chemical related at all, read the label entirely. Don't assume anything. Read and understand. So Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline. I will see you next week.